so we're, uh, we're kind of finishing up our last sermon this morning in the uh, Finding Balance series here. And so we're going to be talking about decision-making this morning, our favorite thing in the world, right? So decisions, decisions, decisions. Should I accept this job? What should I eat today? Should I marry this person? Should I listen to that person's advice? How do I know what to do? Each day we make a ton of decisions. We make probably thousands of decisions a day. Research shows that we make right around 2,500 decisions a day, whether they're, whether they're small or big. So from the, from the time we wake up in the morning until the time we go to bed at night, we're all faced with multiple decisions, right, throughout the whole entire day. I had multiple decisions I had to make this morning. What time was I going to get up? Was I going to gel my hair? What was I going to wear for this sermon? Um, yeah, good choices, right. So we're all, we're all going to make decisions based on our uh, personalities and personal experience. So when we look at decision-making, we've got a lot of decisions to make in a day, right? So should I get up when the alarm clock goes off or should I sleep in? I don't want you guys to miss work, so don't sleep in. Should I, should I go to work or should I call in sick today? Uh, should I exercise this morning or should I skip that workout? I don't recommend you skipping the workout. Should I exercise? Okay. What should I wear today? What should I wear to work today? Should I wear sweatpants and a t-shirt and flip-flops? Or should I go to church or should I go to work wearing a polo shirt with khakis and and dress shoes? I do not advocate for you going to work in sweatpants and sandals or flip-flops unless it's one of those like wear sweatpants uh, to work on Friday day. Because I'm pretty sure, because I'm pretty sure you're going to get in trouble with your boss. You know, I'm running, so I'm running late. Should I, should I gun it and go through the stoplight at 70 miles per hour in a 35 mile per hour zone? Or should I stop and slow down? These are all decisions we got to make. Should I eat healthier today or should I go to McDonald's and get a combo meal? A large one with fries and a large drink. Probably not healthy. Should, should I ignore my co-workers' rooted, rude comments that they made towards me or should I confront them? These are all decisions we have to face every single day. So whether you're young or old this morning, rich or poor, married or single, believer or non-believer, everyone in this room this morning has to make decisions. Even those watching online, we all struggle with the same, same questions and same decisions every day. How do I know what the right decision is based on my situation? There's no simple answer to this this morning. Every situation is different for each individual person. There's no magic formula that I can give you this morning. Life is not always black and white. There's going to be a lot of gray area, and there's nothing you can do about that. So the Bible tells us that if we make good decisions, we'll probably find ourselves in a good place. If we make bad decisions, we're probably going to find ourselves in a bad place. Pretty simple concept, right? So the question for us is how do we make the right decisions and how do we avoid the bad ones? So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, and this is the Amplified, says that trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize him and he will make your path straight. He'll, be re- he'll remove all those obstacles and he'll remove everything that blocks your way. Our ability to make good decisions comes from, comes from God directing our lives. How does God direct us? Through prayer, reading of his word, and meditating on his word. God grants us wisdom, knowledge, and discernment when we pray and ask him for it. God also provides us with stories and illustrations in the Bible of people who have failed, who have failed to make good decisions. Some of them have made 
Some of them, some of them have failed to make, make good decisions. Some of them have made bad, just flat out bad decisions. So God wants us to learn from those stories and illustrations. He wants us to learn that, uh, so we don't repeat those mistakes that, those, that the people made. And we're going, to look at, we're going to look at Solomon's life and a couple of things this morning that he did well and a couple of things that he didn't do well, and you're going to see the difference. So Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives skillful and godly wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So some of the decisions that we make are important, and then there's others that we, they're, they're so important that there's just, there's a lot of short-term and long-term decisions we have to make, and there's consequences that come along with those mistakes. So this morning, does it really, does it really matter to God if I skip breakfast or not? Does it really matter if I eat a hamburger or a slice of pizza or a hot dog with french fries and a large drink again? Does it really matter if I decide to skip a workout to God? Probably not. I fully believe God has more important things to worry about than if we're going to eat a hamburger today. Um, so what I have learned from my, from my life experience is that when we make quick decisions based on impulses and emotions, we tend to get ourselves into trouble. So I want you to think about it like this this morning. When you go into a retail store, say like a Walmart or a Target or a Hy-Vee, why do you think they always put the seasonal merchandise up at the front of the store? Because they're trying to get you to impulse buy it. They're trying to get you to, uh, get it, to buy it based on your emotions. Why do you think when you're at Hy-Vee, when you go to check out, and I'm at Hy-Vee like five, six times a day seeing people, so I like almost live there now. Uh, when you go through the checkout lane at Hy-Vee, they always have like the pop and the candy right there. Why do they have it right there? Because they want you to impulse buy. They want, they want to pull on your emotions because you might have an emotion that's associated with the Snickers candy bar from some point in your life, or you maybe have something that's associated with the Mountain Dew that's in the cooler, so they want you to impulse buy that when you're checking out. So these are just some of the small decisions um, that we have to deal with, that we deal with every day, and that impact, they, they don't really impact our life because they're just a really small decision. But other decisions are more complex and life-altering. Like, should I quit my job and should I look for a new one? I don't suggest you ever quitting a job without having another one. I found out the hard way. Should I go to college? Is it worth it? Or should I go back to college and get a higher degree? Is it going to benefit me? Should we have more kids? Can we afford them? Um, I just got some unexpected money. What should I do with it? Should I pay off a credit card? Should I invest it? Um, should I save it? At this point, I would say you probably want to save it because of what's going on in our, um, what's going on with COVID. You probably want to save it right now. Should I cut all ties with a friend who has just done something unexpected, unexpectedly hurtful to me? Or should I try and work things out? Should I get a divorce? Should I, get, should I go to marriage counseling? Do I give my marriage another chance? These are, all, these are all more complex questions that we deal with every day and that we have to make decisions on. The above decisions can be life-altering, and when we, when we desire to make the right decision, and we, we always try to make the right decisions every time, but these, but these decisions that we just talked about are life-altering, and you can't always make the right decision. I'll tell you what, from personal experience, being wrong sucks, and admitting it, admitting it is even harder sometimes. So Catherine's going to be happy because I finally have to own up and admit that I made a bad decision two years ago. She's been waiting for this one. So in, 20, so in 2018, I made a bad decision. I was, wanting a, I was really wanting a Chevy HHR really bad. I, I've had cars before where I've had sticks in them, and I like driving a stick. I would prefer to have a stick in my car. And so 
Really wanted it. Wanted it bad. Did I need it? No. Did I want it? Yes. So I was so hell-bent on getting this HHR, I was looking on all the cars.com websites and the Facebook marketplace. And when I couldn't find what I was looking for, I made a really dumb decision. I decided to go on to eBay. And so I went on to eBay and I went on to their auction site. And I don't ever win anything. So I went ahead and I placed a bid on it for 2200 bucks, never expecting to win it. After placing the bid, I walked away with the satisfaction knowing I tried. I was like, I'm done, I'm good. Got it out of my system. Well, things did not turn out that well for me. I actually won the car and I had to go to Cleveland, Ohio to pick it up. And this was a spur of the moment, last minute thing where it was like, yeah. So when Catherine found out, she was, uh, she was very hot. And there were, there were definitely some come to Jesus moments that over those three days. Um, Catherine said to me, why would you buy a car that I can't even drive? You just wanted a toy. Yeah. So we went up and we picked up, so we went up and we picked the car up from Cleveland. We drove it. Everything looked fine. We took care of all the paperwork while we were up there. So I'm, so we got, we got it back here. And then, and then three weeks later, I found out I might, I could have died in that car. Like everything that went wrong could have went wrong. Like the brakes had the brakes and the brake pads and rotors all had rust holes in them. Um, where the car shouldn't, like, the car shouldn't even have stopped. So, 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 so I guess if not, I would have been coasting through Indiana on the way back, I mean, and Chicago. So, yeah. So, so we took it down to the mechanic, and next thing you know, this car became like a money pit. Anything and everything went wrong with it. Um, the brakes needed replaced, the rotors, calipers, um, brake lines ended up. We were driving, we were coming to church one Sunday, and all we seen was this line of water coming from behind the vehicle. And uh, we had to rush home because uh, the, the fuel lines had burst because they were rusted through. I mean, it was the gas tank, the gas tank straps, the windshield wiper motor. Um, there was electrical problems with the door. All this stuff started happening all at once. I'd like to equate it to, if you've ever seen the show, The Curse of Oak Island on the History Channel, they, um, jo Jacob knows what I'm talking about. So if you've ever seen that show, they have what's called the money pit. So for like the last, I think like, seven or ten seasons, whatever they're on now, they have been digging in the money pit area trying to get down to get the supposed buried treasure. Well, that's what this, this car wasn't a buried treasure, but it was a money pit. So yeah, so the car, trying to fix the car, ended up costing, was costing more than what uh, it was even worth. And we were way over on it, so eventually we traded in. I got my Jeep Liberty that's out here, and that's what happened with that car. She actually was calling me the whole time on our way up to Milwaukee to get the Liberty and saying, you know, are you doing okay? Because we weren't sure the car hadn't, bro hadn't broke down yet. And I'm just praying to God. I'm just praying to God. I'm like, Lord, please let me make it to Milwaukee because I'm like, I, yeah, we got to get rid of this car. So the Bible can teach us a lot about decision-making this morning. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon has just become king of Israel. And in verse 9, we are told that God appears to Solomon in a dream. God tells Solomon to ask him for anything, and he will give it to him. So Solomon, before he even becomes king, has, has seen his father David rule the kingdom. And so Solomon realizes that for him to be a successful king, he must, have God, he must ask God for wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. So Solomon says, uh, God, please, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For whom, by my, for whom by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? So, God, so we see that God was so pleased with Solomon's request for wisdom that God granted Solomon 
a wise and discerning heart, along with wealth and respect, which Solomon did ask for. Or Solomon didn't ask for the didn't ask for the uh, wealth and respect, but he got it because of his because of what he asked God for. Shortly after becoming king, in First Kings chapter three, verse sixteen through twenty-eight, tells us that Solomon's wisdom was put to the test. Two women came to argue their case before Solomon. Both women lived in the same house, and they both had recently given birth to newborn babies. One of the women's babies, one of the women's baby babies died during the night, and both women claimed that the child was still alive, that the child that was still alive was theirs. Both women argued their case back and forth in front of Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 24, Solomon comes up with a creative response to their dilemma. As you see, Solomon's decision is going to come from a position of wisdom and sound decision-making. And starting in verse uh, 24, it says, All right, bring me a sword. This is Solomon telling one of his uh, workers, All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, Cut the living child in two, and give half to one woman and half to the other. The woman, who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him, very much cried out to Solomon. Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his real mother. So Solomon, through testing the two women, was able to discern who the real mother was. The mother's love for her child saved his life. Solomon gives the child back to his real mother at the end of the story here. And so next we go over to 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 20, 29 through 34, and it says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge, as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded all of that, or exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, and the sons of Mahal, Heman, Kalkol, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all of the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Pretty smart guy here. God really blessed him. So the Bible describes two types of wisdom, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And we're going to address worldly wisdom here in a little bit. So godly wisdom, when used correctly, cultivates peaceful relationships and sound decision-making. Godly wisdom considers the interest of others in love. Godly wisdom is characterized by listening, understanding, and sincerity. Godly wisdom allows us to analyze a situation and to be more objective. So in 1 Kings 10, or 1 Kings chapter 10, tells us that, the, that Solomon's wisdom spread throughout the land and into other countries. When the queen of Sheba heard his wisdom, she decided to pay Solomon, Solomon a visit. And so in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses th- verse 3, says that when she met, Sol- met with Solomon, she talked with him about every, everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen... Of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials, and the splendid clothing 
the cupbearers and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. And then moving on to verse 6 there, it says, she, claimed, she exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I did not believe um, what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be, what a privilege it is, or what a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. So godly wisdom here allowed Solomon to ask Sheba probing questions and to gain knowledge and insight to critically analyze and then to discern which decisions would be which decisions would produce the best results. So this is how he did this is how he did some of it. He ended up calling other people in and listening to them too. That's how he became wise. And from talking with Sheba, he became wise. He learned things he didn't already know. So 1 Kings chapter 11 tells us Solomon was blessed with supernatural wisdom and he was the wisest king that had ever lived and yet despite all of his wisdom Solomon did not exercise godly wisdom when it came to spending money or deciding who to marry. So during, so during, Solomon's, during Solomon's reign in Israel, there was peace. And I really, I really think that Solomon was bored. He must have gotten bored at some point because it does say Solomon lived in luxury. So I, I just think he got bored and he didn't have anything to do because there was no war going on. And, it's, and the, the problem is Solomon engaged in a lot of expensive projects. So he had a lot of expensive projects going on and we read about that in those chapters about how he was making agreements and having all kinds of wood and different building materials coming in. And he, and he outsourced a lot of manpower too because I remember him making some contracts with some kings and stuff to bring manpower in. So I think it was more done out of boredom. Solomon had, so Solomon had a lot of forced labor too and the citizens were heavily taxed in Israel at that time to finance his projects. So that's one bad decision that he made. You don't ever want to tax the citizens, right? Nobody in here likes the taxes going up. So in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, now King Solomon lo- it says, now King Solomon loved many foreign wives besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyways. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and in fact, they did, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. So, I don't know, I can't handle 700, 700 wives, and I can't handle 300 concubines. That's just way too much for me. And uh, we just, as a matter of fact, we just talked about this in Insta a couple of weeks ago about polygamy, and um, one of the questions was regarding the Mormon church, and we're not going to get into the Mormon church thing today, but we talked about polygamy and how we all came to the conclusion in the Insta group, we cannot handle that many, that many, that many spouses. And she even said she'd kill Andrew if... Uh, is that what you said? You said you'd, you'd, you'd kill. You said you'd kill him if he had another wife. Sorry, I'm putting Victoria on the spot there. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking, but because I, I don't want anybody to take that literally. So, so despite God blessing Solomon with great wisdom and peace and wealth, Solomon made a choice to marry a ton of ungodly women, as we just seen. In fact, he married 700 ungodly women. And he married 300 ungodly concubines. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us that, it's, that they were all ungodly, but we're just going to assume that for now. 
So these women, these women, they turn, they turn Solomon's heart away from God. These women turned Solomon's heart towards idols. Solomon made the mistake of following these women, or Solomon made the mistake of allowing these women to bring their pagan religions, their false gods, and their idols into Israel, causing Israel's people to turn their hearts away from worshiping God. So, okay. so worldly wisdom, so worldly wisdom, like we were talking about before, there's, there's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. So, when we're, so worldly wisdom ignores God's wisdom, and worldly wisdom blurs the lines between what's right and wrong and what we should do. And it, and, it, and it blurs the line between good and bad decision-making. People who depend upon this worldly type of wisdom tend to cultivate an ambition within themselves, and, and it usually leads to self-destruction. So Solomon eventually realized that this was a huge mistake and that he lacked true wisdom when he wrote in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So, my question for you guys this morning, do you, do you remember the 1990s? They were, they, were pretty, they were pretty good. They're kind of a blur at the moment. But in the 1990s, you would see like all these t-shirts and bracelets and, and uh, I want to say um, lanyards and stuff, and they had the four letters on them, what would Jesus do? This saying has become a guiding principle for many Christians in their decision-making process. For Christians, it's helped, it's helped to apply like abstract elements of our faith to the practical questions we face every day in our decision-making. So two months ago, two month, about two months ago, I'd say, I received an email from my supervisor. And normally I don't tell her no. I always usually do whatever she asks of me because we have a great relationship. And I'll make that clear. But so she emails me and she says, I've you and another person, another job coach, have been selected to go work with this new person at this manufacturing site. And it was going to be like, we had to be there at like 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning until noon, like three days a week. And I was like, this ain't happening. I can't get up, I can't get up at 5 or 6. I got to sleep in. So this client needed to be seen Monday through Friday, which that's fine. So the first thought that popped in my head was, I was going to have to give up five or six other clients just to see this one client. And I'm like, look, I've spent the last year and a half building up relationships with their, with their families, their staff, their, their coworkers, their supervisors, and you're asking me to do this? Like, I was so worked up about it. I, I took a little bit to respond to the email, but I, uh, I went in, I wrote, down, wrote a laundry list of, like, why I should not be asked to do it based on my work performance. And she eventually emailed me back and was like, it has nothing to do with your work performance. But in the process, in the process, I was so worked up. I was so worked up that I was at the point where I'm like, I'm, I was helping. I'm going to put my, uh, I'm going to put my notice in if she forces the issue. And I even called Andrew, and I was talking to him on the phone. He's trying to be like, he knew I wasn't going to put my notice in, um, but he's just like, hey, you know, blah 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 blah. We just talk, can't tell you what we talked about, but we obviously talked through it. And I went, I went to him to get some counsel and to kind of vent because. I needed somebody else to listen to it. He, he knew. He knew I didn't. Ha he knows I like my job, and I didn't have any intention on that. But sometimes it's just more of venting and getting a second opinion and just somebody listening and giving you just saying, hey, man, slow down, stop, look at what's going on. You know you're not going to actually do this. Try to work it out with the person. And me and her worked it out, and I, I didn't lose any of my clients, and so I didn't end up seeing the guy, which is fine. And everything kind of worked out, worked out the best it could. 
So what, what can we learn from King Solomon's story this morning? First, wisdom, wisdom is discernment. Discernment means our direction should come from God, and we need to have a conversation with him every time we need to make a decision. Many decisions begin with prayer, and major, deci- or major decisions should begin with prayer. Major decisions should be taken to the word of God. Discernment is another part of having wisdom. And discernment distinguishes between what is true and what is false, what is good and what is bad for us. So, for instance, we see God's creative handiwork in science, his truth in philosophy, his order in mathematics, his story in in the redemption of history, and the ethical demands in our culture. So it's critical to knowing these things to acquire the wisdom we need to see life from God's perspective. That's part of discernment. We've got to be able to see it from his perspective. So Philippians 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, about, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So in order to make good decisions today, we've got to understand that God's Word is our roadmap to making good decisions. God's word provides us with action steps, as we talked about before. He gives us these illustrations of characters in the Bible who have made good decisions and who have made bad ones, and and we see how they've either prospered or failed because of it. The other thing we need to do, and this is is something that we all need to do, is we need to work on interpreting his his word correctly as we pray. See, as we pray, we should ask the Holy Spirit for his knowledge, his wisdom, and and discernment to make the best possible decision. So I heard, a pa- I believe this is Max Lakeda who said this, I heard, I heard a pastor on the radio say one time that God will teach you things through life lessons. If you're, if you're stubborn and refuse to learn what God's trying to teach you through those life lessons, if, yeah, if you, yeah, if you're, st- so yeah, if you're stubborn and you refuse to learn what God is trying to teach you through, those, through these life lessons, that shows lack of wisdom. God will send you through a similar life lesson over and over again until you get, um, until his point gets across and you acknowledge it and you learn from it and you decide to implement it into your decision-making process. See, God wants, to, God wants to help us learn from our mistakes so that we develop sound decision-making skills. Sometimes all it takes is us just being patient and it takes time to assess the pros and cons and options that are available. If I do, so when we're looking at a situation, if I do A instead of B, what will happen or what about, the C, what about option C, will, what will happen when we look at the process? The process of decision making is called the sound mind, sound mind principle. What we should do when we're trying to make decisions with wisdom is sit down and write a list of pros and cons out, whether it's on your Word document or on a piece of paper, and then decide which option is best Give me just a second, guys. My thing went, scrolled all the way back up to the top. I apologize. Sorry about that. God, so, yeah, he wants, us to, he wants to help us learn from this decision-making process so that we can learn from our mistakes and develop those sound decision-making skills. So, back to the pastor thing. I apologize about that. God will send you, so God will send you through those uh, lessons over and over again until you acknowledge the life life lesson, learn from it, and decide to implement it into your decision-making process. God wants to help us learn 
from our mistakes so that we develop sound decision-making skills. Sometimes all it takes is for us to be patient and take the time to assess the pros and cons and all the options that are available. So we just talked about it. Um, if I do A instead of B, and what about option C? We want to sit down. We want to write those things out on a piece of paper. We want to write, we want to write them on a Word document. We want to go through them and critically analyze the decisions that we have. So don't, so don't be afraid to use... Uh, the thing I want to encourage you to do this morning is don't be afraid to use your life experience and common sense when making decisions. Analyze each choice presented, each choice that's presented to you like you have wisdom. So our second, so our second thing that we need to do this morning is wisdom means analyzing all the facts. Wise decisions are informed decisions. You must evaluate all of the options that are available to us. Are you taking time, when you, go to make the, when you go to make a decision, are you taking time to process and take in all the information that's available to you? Are you maybe researching it if you need to? See, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and all we have to do is ask Him to help us see our blind spots and anything we're missing before we proceed forward with making a decision. See, the worst thing we can do in our lives is make a premature decision. See, we as humans, we like to, we like to take the decision-making process and overcomplicate it. And we don't need, and sometimes we just don't need to do that, but we do. When in doubt, use your common sense to make those decisions. As humans, we, over, we do overcomplicate things. Remember that every decision is not black and white, and that even though you may have a, you know, even though the plan, plan A looks like the best plan that you can come up with, the D plan might actually be the, the best overall plan. Because plan A might look good at the moment, but plan D is the, better, is the better decision over a long period of time. It is okay. So I, I think it's okay to ask God for a sign before moving forward. Like, God, is this, if this, is, this decision is your will, open this door or close it and open up another door. I think, that that's, I think that that's perfectly fine. Third, wisdom means seeking out godly counsel. So again, I just talked about how I sought out godly counsel a few minutes ago with Andrew. Again, he knew I had no intention on quitting, but I called because I needed to vent and I needed to walk through the situation with somebody and just, I needed, him, I needed to hear from him, you know, you're not really going to do that, so, you know, and I needed to hear something different. So Proverbs 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 22 says, without consultation and wise advice, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they are established and succeed. Sometimes getting, sometimes getting advice from a friend or a family member is enough. Sometimes it's not. At other times, consulting with a mentor or a pastor or other trusted leader can be the difference between making a good, good or bad decision. So Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13, I have, all, I have also seen this as wisdom under the sun, and it made me think. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it. His army gathered around it and built a large wall to help them in the battle against it. But a poor wise man was found in the city, and he brought the city out of, the, out of, out of its trouble by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered the poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is hated, and his words are not carried out. The words of the wise, heard it in quiet, are better than the, Lord, than the loud words of a ruler among the fools. Wisdom is better than objects used in war, but one sinner destroys much. So just like, so just like above with the, with the poor man, in the above story, people, 
people are in our, so there's people in our life, there's people that are in our lives for a reason and some are in it for a season and you've got to know the difference between what there's, what, why God's got them placed in your life. The poor man above had the solution to the king's problem, but after the king won the battle, the poor man was completely forgotten by the kingdom. What the king should have done was the king should have brought this poor man into his council. He should have brought him in and made him one of his counselors because he saved the whole city, but he didn't. He left him poor and on the street. By seeking out godly counsel, we can open ourselves up to new ideas, suggestions, and opinions that we have never considered before. Godly counsel allows others to speak into our lives. It allows them to help us see the problem from a different like, angle, perspective, and viewpoint that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. Like I had one, like going back to the thing with Andrew, the email, I had one thought in mind, and that is, if this doesn't go my way, I'm putting my notice in, I'm forcing the issue. And that's not, that's not the right... Uh, it's not the right, right thing to do. So some, some decisions are going to require alternative solutions at one time. So we may need to create a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, and it may require us to have a contingency plan ready to go if one of the plans fails and doesn't work out. When, my, my suggestion to you this morning is if, there's, if it's a major decision, when in doubt, wait. Wait on the Lord to show you what to do. The Pastor Andrew and Victoria waited on the Lord to show them what to do when they left Waverly. And look where we're, look where we're at today. This church is being revived. And we're raising up new leaders. We're raising up new pastors and just we're raising up new leaders in this church. So I, believe, so I fully believe this morning if God wants us to do something, he will let us know the what, the when, the where, and the how. Just think about his instructions to Noah on, the, on building the ark. Noah waited and he gave him the instructions. Or his instructions to Paul on reaching the Gentiles. So fourth, wisdom means admitting your mistakes and making adjustments as needed. So in most cases, there is no wisdom in continuing down the wrong path after you've discovered it's wrong. Be willing to admit your mistakes like I did with the car and your failures. I made a bad decision to spend a lot of money that I didn't need to. So ask God to help you turn your situation around when, you're, when, it, when it's a bad, when you made a mistake, ask him. Um, so you'll be surprised how quickly God will step in and he'll cause a 180 degree turnaround for you. You'll be surprised how God will, um, oh, well, let's put it like this. So you cannot, you, can't, you, you, cannot keep, you can't keep on doing the same thing over and over again, right? Expecting a different result, it does not, it doesn't work. If your solution did not work the first time, and it didn't work the second time, what makes you think it's going to work the third or fourth time? We've got to reroute. We must change direction. We must change our approach to the situation and the decision-making process. We've got to do something different. How many, times we've done, how many times have we done that in our life where we just make the same decision over and over and over and it doesn't do anything but get us in more trouble? So I would say this morning, trust, trust the Lord with your decision-making. In other words, if you've made your decision with prayer, sound wisdom, and biblical counsel, trust God for the outcome. Again, it goes back to that opening and closing those doors. You know, ask him, say, if this is something you want me to do, keep the door open. If it's not, close it and show me, open up the next door and show me what, what you want me to do, Lord. So, so Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. 
So fifth, wisdom impacts God's kingdom. A good decision will have an impact for God's kingdom. A good decision results in our witness to others reflecting Christ. A good decision leads to growth and drawing, drawing us closer to God. A good decision results in us receiving inner peace from God about the decision. All of our decisions should be lined up with God's will and plan for our life. So, when in, so my, my encouragement this morning is when in doubt, ask yourself, would Jesus give my decision his stamp of approval? Is Jesus, so when you're making the decision, is he gonna, would, would Jesus approve it? Would Jesus say, and you're supposed to fill, in your blank, fill your name in in the blank up on the screen there, would, you, would Jesus say, Ron, you are on the right path, and I was thinking the same thing as you in regards to making the decision? Or it was, is, is Jesus going to say, say to me this morning, go ahead, do what you want, make the decision, but hey, whoa, 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 I don't want my name attached to that because I'm, I'm not cool with that decision. I don't want any part of that decision that you're about ready to make because it's not going to be honoring me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, and, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So ask, yourself, so ask yourself this morning, if Jesus was watching you make a decision, what would he think this morning? When making decisions, we need to ask ourselves, am I thinking clearly? And does this decision reflect who I want to be in Christ and who I am in Christ? A good decision result, results in fruit being produced from the decision. This does not mean that going through the process of making the decision isn't going to be difficult. That's where, we, that's where sometimes we grow, in, we grow in the Lord. So our goal should be to make decisions that honor God, to honor Him, but the decisions may not be easy. So don't let difficult circumstances, people, places, events, and whatever else stand in your way of making, making God-honoring decisions this morning. It's during these times that God uses these circumstances to refine our wisdom, knowledge, and discernment so that, we can turn, so that he can turn us into people who are fully used by him. So today, I wanna, so today we'll end with this. Sometimes the most difficult choice in life, in our life, are not those between right and wrong. It's making the best decision possible based on the situation and information available at a given time. When in doubt, use your life experience and your common sense and ask yourselves when you're making the decision, would, what would Jesus do in this situation? Would he, give me my, would he give me his stamp of approval or do I need to rethink this situation? All right, let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we just asked this morning, Lord, Lord, we, everyone in this room this morning could use a little bit more wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, Lord. So Lord, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would come and just grant that wisdom and knowledge and discernment that we all need to make good decision make to have good decision making lord lord we want to make good decisions for you and we want to make decisions that honor you in our lives every day lord lord we just thank you this morning for all that you're doing in this church lord and in jesus name we pray amen and amen as andrew would say go be productive for jesus today